been a blessing to have Emily home this summer. She uh, heads back to Bob Jones University next Sunday. We'll be taking her down after uh, the morning service uh, next Sunday. And appreciate your prayers for us as we travel down. Uh, but thank you uh, for that. That was a, a blessing. John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. And I don't know about you, but uh, growing up, uh, I learned a little song called uh, Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm not going to try to sing that song necessarily or have us all try to sing it together. Uh, But we know uh, the song uh, for many of us who grew up in church and VBS and all that. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Right leg, left leg, and Joey can lead us here in a few moments. No, (laughs) just kidding. That's camp coming out in you, right? (laughs) I know that sometimes Father Abraham was the chosen song when the Sunday school teacher or the junior church leader or the camp director had nothing else to do, and they just needed something to fill some time. Sometimes that was the song, or if the kids just needed to get the wiggles out, that was the song, and you could just add all kinds of different stanzas to it. But there's a, a simple, a simple truth uh, in that song that I know it's, it's, it's often overlooked, and I don't know if even children really understand. Uh, sometimes I don't even know if we as adults fully understand uh, that song and what it's all about. But there's a simple truth in that song about being sons of Abraham, children of Abraham. And we're going to see in John chapter 8, Jesus draws a contrast between the true sons of Abraham and those who are just the physical, biological sons of Abraham. And he he brings a a doctrinal, a theological aspect to this conversation uh, with these Jews. And that uh, brings us to John 8 and verse 37. We went down through verse 36 last week and we talked about true freedom, uh, freedom in Christ. But verse 37, the conversation continues. Jesus, uh, in his answer to uh, these these Jews, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. So we see, first of all, this morning, a mistaken identity, a mistaken identity. Jesus has now turned the conversation to this antagonistic group, the Jews, as we have identified, as John has identified them. There has been a group of believers, but it it, it, it appears, I think quite obviously, that now there is this antagonistic group that is taking over the conversation, and Jesus is directing his teaching and his preaching at specifically this group. Not that there aren't others who he is trying to reach with the truth of the gospel regarding himself and salvation. But he speaks to this matter of Abraham. And in verse 37, he says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. Now, that word seed is going to speak to the physical heritage of these Jews. They held great esteem this physical heritage that they had as Jews. They were the chosen people. But Jesus uses the word children down in verse 39. 
if ye were Abraham's children. So seed is going to speak to their physical heritage, their biological heritage, being Jews ethnically, physically, biologically. Sons of Abraham in that sense. Children of Abraham in that sense, physically. But spiritually, they were not sons of Abraham. And hence, verse 39, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. See, their evil works were arising out of their unbelief, and it proved that they were not Abraham's spiritual children. They were seeking actively to kill Jesus. They hated his word, this group of Jews led by these religious leaders who were in opposition to Jesus Christ. They saw themselves as physically Abraham's children, sons of Abraham, and that gave them status. That gave them spiritual privilege. That gave them grand entrance into the heavenly kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And they were forgetting what was true about the true sons of Abraham, those who had accepted Christ as their personal Savior. We go back to what John wrote in John chapter 1, as we have referred to this verse on several occasions already, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh yes, they were born physically as Jews, descendants of Abraham. But that didn't save them. That didn't give them entrance into the kingdom. Again, we, we have people all around us that consider themselves on the way to heaven because they're, they're decent people. They're, they're, they're good, decent, moral They've not done anything really bad. They've not murdered anybody. They've not stolen at least not great sums of money. They may have stolen something out of mom or dad's uh, room, or they may have you know, stolen a candy bar from the store or something small, but it was just a little sin. It was no big deal. Uh, they're not great liars. They're not frauds. They're, they're not committing great uh, crimes in, in, the, in the nation. They're, they're decent people. As a matter of fact, they may have grown up in a, in a decent home and they may even had Christian parents or a church-going family. And there's lots of people who they consider themselves as having spiritually the right blood, the right atmosphere, the right family. They, they've had a decent life. They've done enough good deeds. They've, they, they, they've, they've pretty much led a good life. And so they must be on their way to heaven. And as a matter of fact, in the case of these religious leaders, they were, in, in the case of many of them, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, men who had committed themselves to the word of God and learning. And in some cases, they had uh, memorized maybe even large portions of the word of God, such as large portions of the Mosaic law in the Pentateuch. And if anybody was going to be, was going to be, be granted an entrance into the, into the kingdom of God, it would be these individuals. They were religious. 
And they were so religious, they had even added commandments of men to so-called protect the law of God. So they were the elite class. They were the ones that God was going to be honored to have in his kingdom. It was going to be such a privilege for God to have them at his right hand. That's how arrogant, that's how boastful, that's how spiritually blind they were by their own pride. And that, I hate to say it, but that describes a lot of people today. I'm not one of those. I'm not doing that. I have a pretty good life. I've pretty much done good things all my life, so surely the scales will tip into my favor. And there's a lot of people banking on that. That's what they are living, their their, their hope is in. And here's religious leaders Jesus is dealing with who they say, hey, we're, we're a son of Abraham. We're of the lineage of Abraham. We're Jews. We are already granted an entrance into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. No, you're not. You are not a true son of Abraham. And Jesus goes to the authority of God. He speaks, he says, of what he saw with his father. Jesus is claiming that his authority and his words are coming from God himself, who he is with. This is an incredible statement Jesus is making here. We go down there in... Verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father. In contrast, ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now, having mentioned Abraham, they immediately confirmed what Jesus said. Verse 39, Abraham is our father. So what does that do? That opens the door for Jesus to again teach a spiritual lesson to teach this truth about their spiritual condition, to confront them with their sin, their lost condition, and to open their eyes if they would not remain spiritually blinded by their pride and their arrogance and their stubbornness, if they would open their eyes once again to see their lost condition. Jesus draws upon this thought of Abraham, this teaching regarding Abraham, with Abraham being their father. Galatians chapter number 3, if we'll turn there for just a a moment, you can leave a marker in John chapter 8, but Galatians chapter number 3, we can see how this was such a big deal to the Jews, being sons of Abraham, being children of Abraham. They physically being a seed of Abraham, thought that that gave them spiritual privilege. That gave them entrance into the kingdom. That got them a head start, got them ahead of the Gentiles who were no good, that were not worthy of the kingdom. We're not of them. Remember the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed, and I'm not like one of them. But notice what we read in Galatians 3 as Paul addresses this in the church at Galatia. Galatians 3 Down in verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Once again, 
Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. See, in the time of the first century church in Galatia, there were these people, these religious leaders, who were still teaching the keeping of the Mosaic law for one's salvation, who were still resting upon their Jewish heritage, being a child of Abraham physically, that was giving them salvation, that was earning them favor with God, that was granting them entrance into God's kingdom. And Paul is addressing this error in the church at Galatia. And he comes right out and says in Galatians 3 and verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying in John chapter number 8. So we'll go back to John chapter 8. He is saying now to these antagonistic Jews that the true children of Abraham are those who are his spiritual children, his spiritual sons and daughters. He is drawing this contrast. He's causing them to see their spiritual condition. If they were Abraham's spiritual seed, they would not be actively trying to murder the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 37, he says, Your very works betray you that you are not truly sons of Abraham. Because in verse 37, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Down in verse number 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham trusted God by faith. His faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Jesus is essentially saying to these religious leaders, you don't have the faith of Abraham. You are unrighteous. Abraham trusted me by faith, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You have not done the same. You are not children of Abraham. You are not his spiritual seed. See, their works, their works demonstrated who was really their father. Verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I have, growing up, and, and we, we see how much influence we have as parents because our children often emulate and even begin to say things and do things the way we say them or do them. Sometimes it's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, they look like us. They have mannerisms like us. And then sometimes we catch ourselves or we see ourselves in our children as they say or do things that are just exactly like us and to our fault sometimes with, with, our, with our own faults. And uh, I've picked up on some of the things that my, my kids say and uh, I got them from my dad, who now I've passed them on to the, the third generation, and they're saying some of the same things. And, and, and sadly, uh, there are sometimes some negative things that, that we pass on by our influence, our example. And what is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, your works betray. Your works show who you really are. You claim allegiance to Abraham. You're children of Abraham biologically. Yes, you claim to be under Abraham's authority and to follow Abraham in all that he did for God. 
but your works betray you. Because Abraham wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You're actively seeking to murder me. You're actively seeking to kill the Messiah. You're actively seeking to kill the Son of God, God in the flesh. Abraham would have never done something like this. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham lived a life of faith and of faithfulness. You're not doing any of those things. He says, your works demonstrate who your real father is. We see again their rejection of the truth, their rejection of Jesus Christ. Their life, though they didn't see it, their life was patterned by a sin or sins of unbelief and the fruits of unbelief that ultimately reveal that one is not truly born again, is not truly a child of God. True belief will result in a love for God and for his Son, Jesus Christ. Look down in verses 42 and 43. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. You refuse to hear my word. You refuse to receive me. Your unbelief has borne fruits and it shows in your lack of love for God and for his son, your lack of love for me. If you love the father, you would love me. You would believe. You would obey. You would do the works of God. So then what do they do? There's a reference to fornication. Go back to verse 41. You do, ye do the deeds of your father, Jesus said in verse 41. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So in their response to Christ in his statements regarding who they were truly children of, who they were showing themselves to be sons of, not truly being the spiritual sons of Abraham. Their works betraying them, their unbelief and their lack of love for Christ. In that response to Jesus' convicting statements regarding their father, who their true father is, they bring up this reference to fornication. Possibly, and more than likely, an attack upon Jesus Christ himself. And the fact that Christ was born of a virgin, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, because already in that day, there were lies about how Christ was conceived and born. There were some who were saying he was illegitimate, he was born of immorality. Do we realize that lie has persisted even to this day in some false religions? And I've mentioned the book, uh, The Da Vinci Code, more than once in here. That lie is in the Da Vinci Code, written by Dan Brown. Essentially that same lie. And that was a book published, I think, in the, the 2000s. They are accusing Jesus of being a son of immorality, of fornication. They are attacking him. They're saying you and your authority and your legitimacy is illegitimate because of your birth. Obviously, they were denying the deity of Christ, the virgin conception, the virgin birth, the conception of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. They were denying all of that. They could have been possibly even making reference to the fact that if Jesus was illegitimate, if he was born by, by, by immoral means, 
then he was no better than a Samaritan or a Gentile. Those were outcasts. They, they, were, they, were, they were the people who were worthless. They didn't deserve the kingdom. They, they had no entrance into the kingdom. We as sons of Abraham, as children of Abraham, we have the rights to the kingdom. You don't, and Samaritans, Gentiles, they don't. You're all illegitimate. It was an attack upon Jesus. It was an attack upon God. It was an attack upon the authority of God and the authority of Jesus, an attack upon the authority of Scripture. And that's what we keep coming back to. We have a culture that is rejecting God's absolute eternal truth. From evolution to abortion to the LGBTQ agenda, it is ultimately an attack upon the authority of God and His Word. And that's ultimately what Jesus brings these people, these Jews, back to. And He doesn't mince words. Verse 44, one of the strongest verses in all of Scripture Jesus point blank says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the loss of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, I know this would not build a mega church. And me preaching this passage is not going to build us into a mega church. I realize that. That's not my goal, is to build us a mega church. But these are pointed statements in verse 44. Jesus does not beat around the bush and preach a therapeutic message of love is love, and if we all just love each other and then love each other enough, then, then we'll all just kind of get along. And your truth can be your truth, and my truth can be my truth, and we'll just all just kind of love, 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 and, and have love. Right? That's not how Jesus deals with these unsaved, unbelieving, antagonistic Jews. Persecuting him for speaking and preaching the truth. What does Jesus do? He says, you, ye are of your father, the devil. Your works show who your father is. You are acting like your father. In your works, your unbelief proves that you are children of the devil. I remember driving by a church one time, and there's still these churches. I put, those in, I put that in quotes. Have you ever heard of the Unitarian Universalist Church? I saw a sign one time, and when I was younger and tried to figure out what, what does all that mean? And you've heard a statement. The brotherhood of man, the fatherhood of God, the fatherhood of God, and the brotherhood of man. We're all children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. Now, yes, we all share a common humanity made in the image of God, and we are human, distinct from animals and the bugs and the trees and the birds and the bees and the flowers and all that, okay? We are distinct. We're human. Made in the image of God. But are we all just children of God? Just born into the family of God? That's not at all what we read. It's not at all what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus was confronted with that truth in John 3. And Jesus said, ye must be born again. Born of water and of the Spirit. 
So there's this universal Unitarian idea that we're all children of God, but Jesus makes it very clear in verse 44 that there are some who are children of the devil. And this is, again, this is a hard truth to swallow. But essentially, anybody who is unsaved is a child of the devil. Those who are truly born again, who have repented of their sin and come to Christ in faith, believing in his finished work on the cross and resurrection, they are given the authority. They are given the power. They are given the rights to be called a child of God, to be called the sons of God, even to them to believe on his name, as we just read in John 1 and verse 12. The unsaved are under the power of the devil. It doesn't mean that every unsaved person is a Satanist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the unsaved are all just a bunch of spiritistic Satanists involving themselves in all the witchcraft and all the, the, the evil of, of, of spiritism. And That's not what I'm saying. Nor am I saying that every unsaved person acts in the fullness of depravity in every way. Of course not. There are some who show their depravity in excessive ways. And we're seeing in our culture an excessiveness of depravity as we have gotten away from the Word of God, as we've gotten away from the truth, as we have, a, a, have refused to submit ourselves to Christ and to His Word as we have refused to acknowledge God and to submit to God and His absolute truth and His authority, we are seeing the excesses of depravity in our culture. It's, it's almost not a shock anymore, what we read in the headlines. It's almost not a surprise anymore. Some of the filth and the sewage, especially when it comes to the Internet, in the inability to pass certain laws and policies to even hold back some of the sewage that's out there on the internet and in our society. Instead, there is the passage of laws and policies to try to promote and to celebrate immorality and wickedness and sin of all kinds that only increases and excuses the depravity of man. And Jesus is saying, the unsaved essentially are doing the works of Satan. And what is true about Satan? What is he? What is the devil? The word devil there in verse 44 means slanderer or accuser. It's the, the word diabolos. We get the word diabolic from this, this word. And Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, and he has the flesh, our own flesh, as his partner in crime, so to speak. The weakness of our flesh. And then there's the world system that he controls, that he influences. And the powers of Ephesians 6 that are referenced. And the wickedness in high places. So Satan is a foe that should not be taken lightly. We are in a spiritual warfare, as we've looked at for several weeks in Ephesians 6 on Wednesday nights. We are in a spiritual war against a slanderer, the devil, who slanders our Savior and our God. He mocks and he blasphemes and he ridicules the blood of Jesus Christ that saved us. He mocks and he ridicules and he blasphemes the Word of God that we live our life by that saved us from our wretchedness and our sin. 
He is a slanderer. He is accuser. He is a liar. We read in verse 44, When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Lies and deception and deceits are a part of Satan's masterful work, his trickeries and his schemes. Why are we in a crisis of truth in our culture? Because our culture is being given over to the devil, to the slander and to the accusations of Satan and his system. As we in our culture and our society continue to reject the truth and live out the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life as the world continues to go after all of those licentious lusts. There is a rejection of God and his truth and there is an increase in lies and deception and fraud. And no wonder, no wonder we are in a crisis of truth in our culture. And the government has the ridiculous idea of having a disinformation council. How ridiculous. Like they have any knowledge of the truth when they deny biological realities. When they are in reprobate mind about eternal truths. It shows the father of the system is the devil himself. Because he's the father of lies. Where there is lies and deception and fraud, we know that there is the work of the devil going on. There is the slander and the accusations of a satanic system and of sin and all that goes with it. And Jesus is not holding back. He's in love and in compassion. He's giving them the truth. You know, it's hard for us sometimes because of our culture that we live in and how much we are told the wrong view of love. That It is so hard sometimes for us to understand that the greatest act of love can be giving somebody the truth regarding their sin. That's hard. And it can be even at a young age when we as parents have to deal with the young outbursts of rebellion in our children and we have to step into their life and we have to call sin what it is and we have to deal with it and it is painful sometimes even as a parent when we have to do business at home with our children and then as they press a little bit further as they get a little older and they push a little harder sometimes we have to say this is the way it is this is what we have to do And I love you, but this is what we're going to have to do. It's hard. And it doesn't make us sometimes friends of our children. But the object isn't to be their friends right now. Eventually, friendship comes as we love them through. It's it's tough. It's hard. It's one of the hardest things that we do sometimes. And it hurts even down to the very essence of our being. Because we love our children. We love them so much we're even willing to tell them the hard truth. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to be obnoxious and we need to be rude. We have to go with compassion. We are told in Galatians 6 that ye which are spiritual, we're we're confronting, but we're doing it in a spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. 
But as a Christian school principal for several years, I, I, I lived in a world of confrontation. And, and I'm not here to, I'm not here to, to, to stand up and, and, and to make the, the pulpit negative all the time, but there has to be some negativity that comes from the pulpit because we're in John 8 and Jesus has to deal with the negatives, the negatives of these religious leaders. He has to speak the truth. And I know that sometimes a, a pastor, a, a temptation in a church is to be non-confrontational. But we as believers, if we're going to bring the word of God to people's lives, the gospel itself is confrontational. I'm hoping tonight, with the help of God, to, to preach a message on hope and evangelism and talk a little bit about evangelism. The gospel in and of itself is confrontational. It confronts us in our sin. And I don't want to be known as a confrontational preacher in the sense that uh, one of the qualifications of a pastor is, is that he not be a, an angry man, that he not be a, a man given to, to anger. I don't want to be known as a guy who's always out there trying to pick a fight. No. But there has to be a confrontation with the truth in order to deal with the sins of our own lives and the lives of those who we influence including those in our homes. And Jesus loved the world that he gave. He gave himself. And he loved these religious leaders. He loved these Jews. There were some in this group who got saved. We know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would also be fruits of this evangelism as Christ preached the truth and as he confronted the sin and said, ye are of your father the devil. And he speaks to murder in verse 44. Not just lies, but murder. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer in the sense that he hates God. And he wants to take as many people with him to hell as he possibly can. Satan knows he's a loser. Satan knows he's a defeated foe in the end. I believe he knows that. But he's going to go out with a fight, and he is going to attack, and he is going to do everything that he can to hurt the cause of Christ and to take people to hell. And he is going to do everything he can to destroy our families, to destroy our churches, to destroy our testimonies, because he is a murderer from the beginning. He brought spiritual death as he tempted Eve and Adam, uh, eventually in the garden, Eve in specific ways at the beginning there in Genesis 3. And his modus operandi is hatred, murder, and lies. And again, we keep coming back to the fact that the world doesn't understand what to do with death. And it's a tool sometimes that Satan uses as he confuses and masquerades death and doesn't give true answers about death, and it leads people into destruction, and it shows the proof, it proves, it verifies that Satan is a murderer and a liar. Murderer from the beginning and father of lies. Jesus deals with, ultimately, the authority of God and the authority of God's word. That's ultimately what he brings them back to. 
As we move on to verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. What is Jesus ultimately doing? He's ultimately bringing them back to the standard of truth, God's absolute truth. And he's saying you either submit to God or you continue to submit to your father, the devil. Which is it going to be? And we are in that crisis of authority in our culture. We're in that crisis of authority sometimes in our homes. We're in that crisis of authority in our culture, in the places that we work, in the places that we go. And we have to, again, come back to what does God's Word say? What is the standard? What are the truths? What are the principles? What are the commands? What are the promises of God that apply in this situation? And we must remain faithful to the Word of God, to the truth. And what does this mistaken identity lead to? It leads to malicious attacks upon Jesus Christ. We won't have time to complete the the chapter. Uh, We'll have to come back, Lord willing, next week. But their mistaken identity, thinking that they are sons of Abraham and just are going to be granted entrance into God's kingdom when they're not truly sons of Abraham, because spiritually they're not, having never submitted to God, never having believed Christ as Abraham did. But then what do they do? They go to the point where they're now going to start some malicious attacks against Christ. Verse 48, they attack his character. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? It's hard to believe sometimes the level of depravity that man will go to. It's hard to believe sometimes the level to which man will go in his rejection of the truth. It's scary sometimes. Jesus has just confronted them. There's once again an opportunity for them to respond, and they go with maliciousness. They call him a Samaritan and accuse him of having a demon. Can you imagine the judgment of God on a person who hears the truth of God? And then attacks the very Son of God, calling him illegitimate and calling him demon-possessed. This is a despicable evil. This is a despicable level of unbelief that's hard to fathom. But this is, again, a, a, a reflection of what happens when man gets away from the truth. Do we realize that when we get out from underneath the umbrella of the church, we get out from underneath God's protection and accountability that we need as believers? We spent the Sunday school hour talking about the church. We didn't even get to some of the other aspects of it. Lord willing, we will eventually. But when we get out from underneath the protection of the local church, we get out from underneath God's protection, the protection and the accountability that we have as fellow believers. When we get out from underneath the truth of the Word of God by not taking time to study, to know, to read, to understand the Word of God, we get out from underneath preaching, we get out from underneath our devotions, we get out from underneath the the, the counsel of the Word of God, what do we do? We go to the counsel of the world. We begin to follow the counsel of the culture. We begin to adopt the cultural sins. We begin to think like the world does, and we become conformed. We let the world mold us into its shape, as Romans 12 warns us against. These religious people, 
rejected Christ. They attacked his character. And in verses 49 through 51, we'll only be able to go this far in this passage today. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, truly, truly, he says, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Christ defends his character. First of all, he said he honored his father. Secondly, he said God would vindicate his character. And then thirdly, he said that those who keep his saying would never die. They would experience life. Obedience to the word of God brings life. It brings joy. It brings sustenance to the life. It doesn't mean that life is going to be peaches and cream. I like cottage cheese with a pineapple on top. And we think that sometimes, I know some, of the, some people, they don't like cottage cheese. That's just gross, so that's not a good thing to illustrate with. But sometimes we think that life is cottage cheese with the pineapple on top. It's the icing on the cupcakes. It's the Krispy Kreme donuts. It's the Mary Lou's all the time, every day. And then we think that life should be that way all the time. But it doesn't work that way. True joy comes in obedience to the Word of God. One of the men in the, the men's Bible study the other day brought up a great point. What a great opportunity, again, as we had to, to iron, sharpen iron. And I had I'd heard this, I'd actually read this in a book, and one of the men brought it up. Right feelings come from right actions. Often we want the good feelings, and we get them the wrong way, and they're passing, and they go away, and they bring actually worse feelings, and they bring consequences, when actually true joy, true satisfaction comes in obedience to the Word of God. In living a life of obedience and truth. And Jesus says, life is in obedience to the truth. You keep my saying, ye shall never see death. So let's be a life-giving people. Let's be a life-living people as we obey the truth. Let's not fall to the lies of Satan. Let's not be caught up in lies and hates and all that the world system tries to counsel us with and lives out. Let's be obedient people, living according to the truth of the Word of God. Let's identify with Christ our Savior and live out that identity as a Christ follower in obedience and in life-giving truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, it's confronting. Lord, it's, it's convicting. Lord, help us to once again look within ourselves and examine ourselves and see, first of all, if we be of the faith. If there's someone here who does not know you as their Savior, Lord, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day they call upon you and trust you and repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in you. But Lord, as believers, help us to once again look within and see where our allegiance lies and where we are at in our life, in our obedience, in our faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you will do your work even as we sing. pray that, Lord, we will go out from here serving you better, loving you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jake is going to